This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 63. And the quote of the day is from Vernon Law, who said, Experience is a hard teacher because she gives you the test first and the lesson afterward. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I'm really excited to announce that registration has opened for my free webinar. I'm doing it this Thursday, September 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can register at drummersresource.com forward slash webinar and it's a this free webinar will help you get your online presence up to a professional level helping you get more gigs more followers and more exposure and space is limited so definitely register today and you can register at drummersresource.com forward slash webinar one other thing for you i worked out a deal with boso drumsticks if you haven't heard this already if you go to bosodrumsticks.com they are the world's only maker of bamboo drumsticks and they have a full line of bamboo drumsticks they're awesome made out of a sustainable product i'm a i'm an endorsed artist through boso so i worked out a deal with them that if you anything that you buy on the website you put in the the promo code podcast uh, you will get 15% off your order, which is great. And there's thir- there's free shipping on anything over $30. So like I said, go there, check it out. You get 15% off. And this is not an ad. They didn't pay me for this or anything. I just worked out a deal that my listeners get 15% off if they put in the promo code podcast. So check that out. The interview that I have today, I'm super, super excited about. I have Jeffrey Houseman Clemens, who is the original drummer or the drummer for G-Love and Special Sauce, has been since the beginning of the band. And I've been listening to G-Love and Special Sauce for my whole life. It feels like, I mean, I've been listening to them for 20 years. They're one of my favorite bands. They're from Philly. I'm from Philly. Maybe that's why I like them. I don't know, but I love them. And Jeffrey is a super cool guy. Uh, He's influenced with New Orleans drumming and he's a jazz guy and plays a lot of linear stuff and we're going to get all into that plus what it's like to be in a band for this long and and to really do it successfully and a bunch of other cool stuff so like i said extremely extremely happy to have him on the show so uh without further ado let's get into it with the house man jeff what's happening man thanks so much for doing this i appreciate it yeah hey nick how's it going man it's going well it's going well so we were just talking that you are in uh where are you in west monroe louisiana Yep, this is this is Jeffrey Clemens, the houseman from G Love and Special Sauce, and I'm calling today uh, from West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, we're just sort of laying over here, and then uh, the next show is tomorrow night in Dallas. So you are on the road with your band, G Love and Special Sauce. How long have you guys been together? Yes, well, this is uh, this is our 21st year. It's amazing. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, we have the original trio. Uh, uh, I'm currently on the road, and uh, we're playing some of the classic stuff from you know back in the day, as well as uh, songs from our new record, which came out uh, in April. Uh, we are uh, that came out on Jack Johnson's Brush Fire label. It was mm-hmm. recorded. It was mostly recorded at Jack's studio in L.A. And we had a couple of we called in a few favors. We called in some guests. Uh, we had uh, Ben Harper come and sing, and then I called uh, Dave Hidalgo from Los Lobos, who's one of my absolute favorites, and he came nice. play guitar uh, on some stuff. And uh, uh, there might have been a few other guests, but Jack Jack's not on the record and, uh, this time. But we had some a nice session and some nice guests. Cool. And yeah. that 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 album is called Sugar, right? Yeah, it's called Sugar. It came out in April, and you know, I think there's some. It's sort of got the, uh, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the G Love sound, like you, you, you would recognize the sound right away. Maybe you wouldn't know the songs because they're new, but if you're familiar with our sound, uh, then you'd be able to tell it's us. I think it sounds kind of like what we used to sound like, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and. Admittedly, that is the only uh, only G Love record I don't have, so I'll be picking that up. So, oh, cool! Check it out. I think there's some good songs on there. Uh, you know, we have struggled to have um, you know a lot of commercial success, like radio uh, uh, type type 
success, but we have sort of like a street cred and like a sort of, I don't want to, I hate to use the word underground band base, but, you know, G-Love's one of those acts that never really like busted through with commercial hits. So we, you know, we tour and there's a lot of, the people that know about us are, you know, uh, like it and the people that, people might have, oh, I, I heard of those guys, but I've never seen them, you know. Uh, right. You know, um, it's it's okay. I think, you know, it's it's an interesting time to be touring because, um, you know, we're trying to figure out how to maintain our our audience and and get people to come to the shows and you know keep keep it so it's sustainable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I now, how did how did this whole band come together? Because you know, you guys aren't all from the same area. You you're from New Orleans, right? I'm originally from Boston. Okay. Uh, I, I lived after we got our record deal. I shoved off for New Orleans, uh, but I met I met G Love in Boston. He's from Philly, and he moved to Boston. Uh, he was uh, just sort of trying to find his musical, uh, you know, footing, and he wanted to sort of go where he didn't know anybody and play. I think he heard that Cambridge or Boston was a good place to to try like playing out in the street or busking, you know, in the subway or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why he did that, but uh, yeah, I met him in Boston, and that's my hometown, and the bass player, Jim, is from the area. He's from Rhode Island originally, but went to college in, in Boston, and uh, so um, I saw G-Love playing a bar one night, by, you know, just I happened to be in the in, in the place, and I, I heard instantly what he was doing and had an idea right away, and then I, I knew a bunch of upright players, because I was sort of hosting a, like a bebop, like a straight-ahead jazz jam study. I was studying jazz at that time with Alan Dawson, who's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, he's one of the great, let's not confuse the listeners, we said Alan Dawson, not Alan Awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> Alan, for any, anybody that doesn't know who Alan Dawson is, D-A-W-S-O-N, uh, you just got to look him up. Look him up on Wiki or look him up on YouTube. Uh, he was a very uh, potent bebop drummer from the 1940s up until the time he stopped playing in the 90s. Uh, I studied with him sort of at the end of his tenure, but uh, yeah, that's how it all came together. I, I happened to see G. Love play at a bar. He was playing solo one night, and, and um, I, I knew right away what to do, and I... I I had a few. We had a few different. I introduced myself to him, and then we had a few different bass players come down and play with us, and that was sort of how it started. Nice, and you know, it's it's funny that you said you knew exactly what to do because I definitely feel that you have a different style than most drummers, and I think that that's what gives G Love and Special Sauce its signature sound is the the way that that you play and the way that Garrett plays, and just you know the way that that everything is locked up. How did you develop that sound though? How did you, you know, I don't, cause I definitely think that you approach things differently. Um, well, thank you for the compliment. I always take that type of, uh, uh, statement as a compliment. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, people that say that to me, I, I, yeah, I feel like they are definitely telling me that I have, that I do something unique, which is the highest praise. And, you know, I, um, like, you know, you think about all the famous drummers that you can recognize from a drum sound. There's really not that many. I mean, like, percentage-wise, in other words, like, let's just talk about modern drummers. Like, you know, when a song comes on, you, you'd probably be able to recognize, like, Stuart Copeland and the Police mm-hmm. or Alex Van Halen with the original lineup of Van Halen or even when with the Sammy Hagar lineup of Van Halen. Um you know, I'm just trying to think of like how you know, like drummers that you can recognize um, right away when a song comes on, even if you don't know the song. And you know, I I generally don't I don't I generally wouldn't blow smoke up my own you know you know what. But I think that I I think I I think that when our stuff comes on, you can tell by the drum sound that. It's, if you're familiar with G Love, then you know that it's us, or you know that it's me. Right, and I would—I totally uh, agree with that. 
Yeah, and like in fact, the other night uh, the bass player Jimmy, he was playing something off his computer on on the on the stereo here in the front lounge of the bus, and I said, "Dude, that sounds like me. I swear that's me." <laughs> and uh, we, we we listened to it. It was like like a little funky drums with like bebop bass, and then like it was like somebody uh, sounded like a whole blues guy like talking or something just like not singing just it was somebody talking and then we listened to the whole thing and and uh i, I said you know it sounds like some old interview with some old jazz guy or something and basically jim told me that it was me he he he, he sampled he, he looped up one, a couple of bars of me playing and then he played along to me and then it, it happened nice. to be like some john colt john coltrane interview that he took little snippets from and then put it all together and it just sounded like this sort of like uh you know uh new jack funky jazz talking blues thing you know i don't know <laughs> but i knew it was me i was like i swear to god that's me dude i don't ever i don't remember playing that phil but i know that's my <laughs> i know that's me you know uh well so but to answer your question um i'll answer it in two parts very briefly the first part is, is that you know g love is a very unique music artist and everything he does is sort of based in, in in one aspect of blues so that might be electric blues that might be country or delta blues that could be whatever encompasses a blues style you know mm-hmm. like anything from like real finger picky kind of mississippi john hurt style all the way up to like something electric uh, that you know from say Lightning Hopkins or John Lee Hooker, you know, and like, so that's that's the first part, first part of my answer to your question. Like, I so it's all blues based, and mm-hmm. the second part of it is like, you know, there, there's an intangible thing that that he can do that you really can't teach, and. Um, the same thing with what I do. It's like I, I have a lot of vocabulary. I've developed a lot of vocabulary. And uh, here comes G. Love now. He just walked up to the bus. Where's everybody? I don't know. Um, so, um, you know, it's an intangible style based on vocabulary. And, you know, I, I thought I was cool when we started the band. And then I, I moved to New Orleans and lived there for 10 years from after we got a record deal and after we recorded our second album in 1995, I spent 10 years in New Orleans and eventually got flooded out in Katrina. But, um, that's where I really, that's where it took off to another, uh, shifted into another gear for me to have to, to, uh, you know, Gary, can you swing this door shut? Sorry, man. That's right. Um, you know, what I learned in New Orleans was more than I expected. And I didn't really move there to play. I lived there for 10 years, and the first five years that I lived there, I, did, I didn't really play. I wasn't really there to, like, hustle gigs or, you know, try to be part of any music scene, although I did eventually become part of a music community and learned so much by seeing, just by seeing and listening to what was going on down there and you know, if you're a drummer, you know, mm-hmm. we all we all sort of know about the cliches, not the cliches, but there's so much music history down there. It's really, a, it's, it's a drummer's town. And, yeah. and, you know, all the way back to the turn of the century with the development of, like, hot jazz and then Dixieland and then brass bands and then, like, blues and funk and all that funky New Orleans stuff that came on the electric instruments and the... You know, or all the cool blues and R&B that came out of New Orleans in the late 40s and early 50s. Fats Domino, you know, Little Richard recorded some of his famous sides there. Guitar Slim, Earl King, the list just goes on and on. Um, But I learned, that's really where I, like, I had been playing already for 15, 17 years before I moved to New Orleans. And then the 10 years I... So what was the move there for? Uh, get out of the winter. You know, I lived in yeah. Boston my whole life, and yeah. I just kind of fell in love with New Orleans when we went there to play, record our record for three weeks. And I had been there once before to visit a buddy of mine, and I, I just 
that, that was before we had a record deal or I had an, an, enough money to move. Um, and then after that, I said, you know, screw this. I'm, I'm going down to New Orleans. It's nice weather. It's unbelievable amount of historic music scene down there. And from, you know, the Neville Brothers and Alan Toussaint to the Dirty Dozen Brass Band and all, uh, Walter Wolfman, Washington, Snooks Eaglin and all, Earl King and all points in between. You know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, so... I, I guess I'm not really answering your question. I'm, I'm babbling, but I'm, I, I like it, man. I like. It's funny because I was just I did an interview earlier today with another drummer from New Orleans, uh, uh, Andrew from the Revivalists. Yeah, I don't know if I know who that is. Although I think I've been reading. I think I read about them. I might have heard about them. Okay, um, but it, I was just I was just talking to them. So uh, it's I'm I'm already in the in the New Orleans mind. Gotcha. In in well, the mind frame of that. So you know, the thing about New Orleans is that. You, you can listen to records all day with Dr. John or the Meters or whatever, or the brass bands, but to actually see how they play down there, like what's really happening with your own eyes and ears is, is really special. It's, um, it's an amazing town. It is absolutely amazing, an amazing town. You know, it's unique. It's unto itself. Um, and a lot of the African-American drummers down there, uh, because of the evolution of the instrument in city, oftentimes play open-handed, mm-hmm. and this this is something that I wouldn't have thought about unless I moved there. But I can't explain it. In a, I don't have a lot of time to go into it on, the, on this interview. But some of the great New Orleans drummers like Shannon Powell, Herlin Riley, uh, even the wayback drummers like Earl Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smokey Johnson, um, of course, Ziggy Motorlees from the Meters, and uh, who, who was I? Er, uh, Herman Ernest, uh, Willie Green, that played with the Neville Brothers, and still might play with the Neville Brothers. Um, and then, who's the one I'm leaving out that I wanted to say uh, open handed? Uh, not Stanton Moore, but. Uh, uh, Johnny Vodakovich? Uh, Johnny Vodakovich is another good example. Uh, there's all these drummers down there that play open-handed on the drum set, where normally you and I might sit down at a kit. If, and if you if you play a right-handed kit, then you're crossing your you know your right hand over to the hi hat, and your left hand is playing the snare. But you know these guys play an open-handed style on, with the same configuration. Oh, I, the other one I wanted to mention: a really famous New Orleans drummer, one of my favorite jazz recordings of all time. Anybody that's listening, Ahmad Jamal Trio. Yeah. Live from live from the Pershing, which is in, uh, a venue in Chicago, I think, and it was recorded in 1958. Uh, piano, uh, upright bass, and drums, uh, live uh, album. One of the all-time greatest. Uh, Vernell Fournier is the drummer. He was from New Orleans. He might have been living in New York City at that point. I don't know where he was living or how he ended up playing with Ahmad Jamal in the late 50s. But this album is groundbreaking breathtaking, amazing brush and mallet work. Like, it's, anybody listening, if you're interested in, you know, like, precision boleros and wonderful swirling and sweeping brush, jazz brushes and, like, mallet-type cool Tom Tommy uh, inflections, I mean, th- this is one of the all-time greatest recordings, so I, I'm going to say it one more time, then we're going to move on. Ahmad Jamal, live at the Pershing in 1958. Um, otherwise, you know, what I learned in New Orleans from being there for 10 years was, it was it's an intangible thing. you got to go there. you got to go sit there for 10 years to see it and, and feel it and, and, and hear it and see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the answer to the question after 10 minutes is, G love, love has a very intangible delivery. It's something you really can't teach. Like, you can't teach someone how to play like a drunk old blues guy. Right. You know, okay. you know really. I mean, you can get drunk and play blues. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but I always play the first thing that comes to mind, uh, Nick. So this is really the answer to your question. The you know, three of my biggest drum influences would probably be, you know, just for the sake of this interview, let's just say Ziggy Modalese from the Meters, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, and any of the three 
drummers that played on all those James Brown records. That would be uh, John Jabo Starks, uh, Melvin Parker, or Clyde Stubblefield. We're all familiar with these names. Mm-hmm. So whatever G, whatever G Love plays, the first thing I play is usually the first thing that I feel, and it's usually somewhere between James Brown, Led Zeppelin, and the Beatles, somewhere. Right. Right. But some, sometimes it's not. But sometimes it is. And, you know, generally if I say to myself, well, what, what would John Bonham play? Then I would probably play that. Or if it feels like more like a New Orleans second line thing, then I might ask myself, well, what would, you know, what would Earl Palmer or what would Herman Ernest or what would, you know, uh, whoever I named, you know, Johnny Badocki, who, whoever. You know, what would so-and-so play here? And I'm usually, I'm, I don't want to say I'm right, but usually the first thing I play is at least pass, passable, and then I tweak it from there. But, like, I have to say, it's kind of an intangible thing. It's not just, like, eight notes on the hi-hat, and two and four on the snare, and one and three on the bass. So I'm like, yeah, I, I do that sometimes, too. Like, I play, like, sort of classic hip-hop, a la, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, somewhere between like, uh, you know, Diggable Planets, Brand Nubian, uh, um, Tribe Call Quest, uh, the Beastie Boys, like any of that sort of. Mm-hmm. That's late all the 80s stuff I grew up on. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I like a lot of those beats on a lot of those records, whether they were made by um, DJs or drum machines or what, you know, a, list, a lot of the cool samples and a lot of the cool beats that are on those classic hip-hop sides are definitely another side to my playing. But really, all those beats are come from all the stuff I named anyway from before it. So, right, right. you know, it's like a newer, new, a new, a newer version of, you know, what's hip-hop. It's, it's, a, it's a basically a, 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 another generation of James Brown's beat, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, um, all that stuff, you know, slam together is sort of is what I play with G love, you know? Uh, so so that, now do you think that that was your style sort of evolving as, as you started playing with Garrett more and, and you guys were kind of like all, all working this out together because it, it seems like you guys have the same style. I mean, he plays guitar, you play drums, but I'm guessing that you or for what I'm from what you're saying too, is that, you didn't really have that style before you started playing with him and, and you sort of developed it over time. Well, I mean, I was already studying, I was living in Boston. I was studying with Alan Dawson and listening to a lot of New Orleans music before I moved to New Orleans. But I got you. so I, I did have like that first record, the first G love record, which is kind of our most well-known record. You know, a lot of the stuff that I play on there, what came from heavy, heavy study dissection of James Brown records uh, reading reading bebop autobiographies like uh, from of Miles Davis and you know all the bebop guys and then starting with Alan Dawson and listening I was already kind of into like you know some of the classic hip hop stuff you know mm-hmm. um, um, so I was already onto it and I just I just thought to myself if I could just find a kid that could rap like one of the Beastie Boys but could have like a blue sensibility, then that, that would be the really the perfect match for me. And I, I happened to meet G Love. It was just serendipitous the way it worked out. And that's awesome. You know, although we, although we, you know, although we may occasionally disagree or have struggles off stage, which anybody does. That's life. I mean, just any any you know brothers, you know siblings, you know people just disagree sometimes. So that. Mm-hmm. You know that's not unnatural that we might not agree or whatever, but generally musically we we agree. Um, so you know I'll quote our bass player Jimmy Prescott who once said in an interview that you know when we're talking we're sort of less not we're when we're talking we're further away from what it is that we're trying to do musically. And if we if we're playing and not talking, we're a lot clo- closer. So, you know, that makes total the, sense. The the three of us are better off 
not like we can't talk, but generally, right. generally we're communicating better through our instruments. You know sure. what I mean? That's that's where the conversation is, and uh, you know whether we disagree off stage about something or you know don't communicate as well talking as we do playing. That that's neither here nor there. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not trying to paint a picture like we don't like each other and we don't talk. I mean, that's not what I mean. No, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, so, you know, G love just has this intangible thing, like a drunk, you know, blues guy. I don't, I don't want to imply drunk. I just mean it. It has, he just has this sort of sloppy drunken style, you know? Right. And, you know, and his vocal delivery is kind of original and unique. And then, the way I play the drums is, you know, I try to give his music, his his stuff, just that funky little hiccup or edge that you wouldn't hear, that you wouldn't expect. Or, you know, you seem to be familiar with what I do, so maybe you could come on, comment on it from an outsider's perspective. But, like, I just play what I feel. And it's usually somewhere between Led Zeppelin and James Brown and the meters, give or take. And then I just try to stick a wrench in it not on purpose but I just don't hear things I hear things my own way and the last thing I'll say about it before you ask me the next question and this is really the most important part of this interview as far as I'm concerned when you, if you're asking me about my playing I play a mostly linear uh, style mm-hmm. so a lot of drummers might not know what linear is, if you want to explain it, you can. If you want me to do it in a sentence or two, I can. I have a lot of clips on YouTube. I have free drum lessons on YouTube. You just type in my name, Jeffrey Clemens, and I call them all. They're all numbered drum by drum break. So Jeffrey Clemens, drum break, number one, number two. I have about 20 clips on there. Um, haven't put anything too much on there lately, but I definitely have some lessons that talk about my linear style and, you know, for the listeners that don't know what linear style means, it basically means that I'm, I'm, I'm usually I'm not always hitting the hi-hat and the snare drum on the same beat or the kick drum and the hi-hat on the same beat. It might just be like a hi-hat on one, a, a bass drum on the, the next 16th note, followed by a snare drum on the next 16th note, and so on. So it's more like boo, ka, che. And together, you know, it's like bukacha, but it's hard to explain, uh, not hard to explain, but I just want people to know that I'm not always just like playing regular rock beats where you, the hi-hat and the bass drum happen on one and the snare drum and the hi-hat happen on two and four. I have a different idea about things. And by playing one 16th note at a time to make my patterns, this sort of gives my style a little more unique delivery um, that coupled with my sound. If you want to get into that, we can talk about what kind of drums and cymbals I use or whatever. But yeah, I you know it's hearing. I, as I mentioned before, I've been listening to your playing for not 21 years. You know, uh, since since the first record came out. So now hearing you explain what your style is, now it makes total sense. Uh-huh. You know, which is funny because listening to it before, not that not that I ever felt like it didn't have any rhyme or reason to it, but it didn't have any rhyme or reason to me. I know that it made sense to you, but to me, I was like, what? And that's why I always was, you know, frustrated trying to learn some of your tunes, too, because it was like more not necessarily what you're playing, but why you're playing it and where you're coming from. And now hearing you say, well, yeah, I listened to, you know, Zig and I listened to James Brown and I listened to John Bonham and all that stuff. Now I can start to hear it. And that total like New Orleans, that 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 uh, meters, linear stuff, the like all that stuff. Now I'm starting to understand where you're coming from, which now I can't wait to go back and like listen to these records again and kind of. Now that I feel like I'm a little bit more inside of your brain and I can start to to hear it a little bit better, which is yeah, cool. that yeah, you're right. That what you just said I, is pretty much it. If you listen with that in mind, you'll it'll, it'll the light will go on, or you'll be like, oh, or right. whatever, whatever happens, to you, <laughs> you know. 
So let's talk about gear. So what do you what's your what's your setup? Look, you know, it's so simple, it's almost impossible. You know, my setup is I'm playing I've for all my career, I've played Ludwig drums. I've got several Ludwig kits from different decades, different sizes, different sizes and different configurations. I've got WFL drums from the 1930s and 40s. I got a WFL kit from the 50s. I got a Ludwig Club date kit from the early 60s. That's 22, 12, 14. I got a Blue Sparkle kit from 1970. That's 22, 13, 16. I have uh, a white uh, Marine Pearl kit with that are all cousins. None of it came together. I put them all together right. with just buying singular drums, but they're sort of mostly 50s and 60s Ludwig White Marine Pearl drums. Uh, basically, I have the uh, I have 22, 12, 14, 16. So that's one up and two down. The 22 is a very unique WFL bass drum called a Porta Pack, which they only made from 59 to 62. It's 22 inches around and only 12 inches deep. Hmm. Um, and then I have a 26 inch bass drum with casking heads from the 50s. That's White Marine Pearl. And that's awesome. It's got a built-in Wahlberg muffler inside of it that you can adjust. Uh, they don't make them anymore. Uh, um, so, and I got the I got a yellow Vistalite kit that's uh, 22, 12 or 13 up, and then 14, 18 down. And then I have a whole bunch of uh, Ludwig Jazz Festival 5 by 14 wooden snare drums, eight lug wooden snare drums, and then. I'm currently touring with a kit that Ludwig built me in 2011. Uh, they put me on their roster and built me a gorgeous purple lacquer kit that I have some gold sparkle racing stripes nice. on, and it's 22, uh, 12 up, and then 14 and 16 down, except for the, the two floor toms down. It's instead of 14 by 14 and 16 by 16, they're a little quicker on the bottom. They're 14 around and 12 deep. 16 around and 14 deep so they're just a little quicker you know i got you uh, know it's funny you're met you're naming all these drums and i'm on your youtube channel and i can see all of these kits as you're talking about it which is pretty cool oh actually that's great that you mentioned that so for anybody that's listening to this yeah you can go on youtube and i'm, I'm pretty much playing a different one of the kits i just named in like every other lesson so yeah, as uh, you're saying it you're like i have this yellow vista like i'm like yep there's that and then you're like they just built me this purple one with the racing stripes i'm like yep i'm looking at that <laughs> Yeah, it's a great kit. It sounds really great. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a hole cut out of the front of the bass drum. I don't stick a mic inside the bass drum, uh, at least not anymore. I just refuse to go with that, like you know, stuff a pillow in your bass drum and cut a hole in the front thing. I don't do that anymore. I play a totally wide open bass drum. There's like one little, one little piece of muffling mm -hmm. in it on the bottom of the shell on the, on the batter side. And, um, otherwise it's, it's got, you know, it's wide open. There's no holes in the drum except for the little air hole by the bat. So we, we, you know, our front of house guy, we mic it from the front and then we have this little sneaky technique. We do, we mic it from underneath the floor, Tom way down by the floor. We put in a bass drum mic on the side that I kick as well. Oh, nice. And, and that way he can mix and match you know, both signals and get the best sound in, in that room that night. But, uh, you know, standard, standard, standard sizes, pretty much, uh, Ludwig super classics, 22, 12, 14, 16. And then I'm playing acrylic snare drums. My main snare drum is a spawn. It's just something I found. Hmm. It's uh, acrylic, like a Vista light shell, right? It's 13 around and five and a half deep and it has big open air holes in it. And then, I have a, a, a very odd sized drum, but it sounds great. It's 13 around and seven inches deep, and it's an orange uh, acrylic snare drum made by Pork Pie called the Pig Light. That's so weird. Uh, I, I would have never thought that your sound would be an acrylic snare, which is crazy. Well, to be honest with you, I was playing all wooden snares and all wooden drums until I bought the Yellow Vista Light kit. I needed more volume and more sound. Right. And that yellow, yellow Vista like kit I bought on eBay sounded amazing right out of the boxes. Uh, 24, I was playing 24, 12, 14, 18. And then I thought, well, I, I better pick up a couple of the snare drums. You know, I just, the Ludwig, eight, the eight lug 
Ludwig Jazz Festival models that I collect or that I had a bunch of. Just wasn't cutting it live anymore. I needed more volume and like more crack. And I walked into Guitar Center in Nashville and I just was like, clink, nope, clunk, nope, whack. And I'm like, yeah, that one. <laughs> it was, the, it was, it was, it was a, that was the pork pie, 13 by seven, the orange, Vista Light style acrylic. Nice. And then the next week I went to Forks Drum Shop, another drum shop in Nashville, and I was like, click. No honk, no crack, and it was this spawn, you know, uh, light sort of like coke bottle blue acrylic snare drum with giant holes drilled out of it for vol. I guess it's for volume. I don't know what they do. They're right. Like big sound holes. Odd, oddball, another oddball size, 13 around, five and a half deep, and these are my two touring snare drums, and they both sound amazing. And uh, I'm I'm not lying when I tell you I think I paid. 219 for the pork pie and I paid $207 for the spawn and um, Chris I'm doing an interview and um, so you're talking about you know $200 snare drums here hey man whatever sounds good I know that uh, that John Mayer's drummer the guy that's on tour with him Aaron Sterling uses a kit that he got from like JC Penney's or something like that years ago <laughs> And it was like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, that's the, that's that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, and he's like he has all these kits and like you know all all these kits in storage, and he uses that one. And it sounds great. So, so what uh, what's your cymbal setup? Well, uh, I've been playing uh, Sabian cymbals for um, well, I guess they put me on their roster a very long time ago. I started out with these cool when I. We first got signed, I had just what everybody else had. I had sort of like Zildjian symbols. Uh, I had a really cool symbol I had bought when I bought a, one of my old kits a long time ago. It came with a, like a 20-inch 60s uh, jazz mini mini cup ride. Like very small bell, just mm-hmm. a little mini cup for a bell. And I had these Peisty hi-hats and a few splash symbols and sort of normal type crash symbols. Um and then when Sabian put me on their roster on 94, 95, uh, I was signed uh, by by the artist relations guy for Sabian at the time was Bill Zildjian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but Will, 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 Robert Zildjian was the guy that founded Sabian Symbols. Right, right, right. Yeah, the whole fa- the family split and, and all that. Yeah, the family split. Robert founded it in 83. His two sons... We're working uh, in the company, and Wilson or Bill Zildjian took a shine to me, and we've been we're still we're still great friends. Uh, he's from where, near where I grew up, outside of Boston, and uh, so the Sabian Company's been uh, very very generous to me, and uh, they've given me just some beautiful, wonderful symbols, and I've never had. Uh, you know, they've always allowed me to just try out or play whatever I wanted to play without, you know, asking too many questions. And uh, right. the collection I have is, is just gorgeous. Uh, and so I'm currently playing really gig- gigantic cymbals. Uh, I have a 24-inch. Uh, they call it a. It's a bash. They call it a bash ride. It's it was all the it was Sabian's big buzz cymbal, not at the, this past Nam show, but the one before I think right. 2013. So it's a really thin symbol, but it's 24 inches, so you can ride it, and it's got like a classic jazz like tone without too much overtone, but you can smash it or crash it, and it has a nice crash sound as well, you know, yeah. and it has a nice bell. It's a very nice, gorgeous symbol, very versatile, and uh, and then I, I have a... 22-inch, I think I'm, I'm touring right now, it's the Jojo Mayer Omni ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the Jojo Mayer signature ride symbol. And it's kind of, it's got like a wet and dry, like the middle is unfinished, but the out, outer part is finished. So once, like the middle of the symbol is real dry and pingy, and the outside is a little more of a wash, you know? And then I have a, a type uh, Sabian Vault crash symbols. Neither one of them were available at the time. They were prototypes. So one's a 22 
its crash symbol um, that I you can buy 21s but you can't buy 22s you would have to order 22 inch crash symbols from Sabian mm-hmm. but I, I got one that was a prototype Oh, nice! Um, it's really awesome and then and I'm using another uh, of their vault series symbols it's a 20 inch vault crash which I think is available now but at the time this was also a, vault, a prototype symbol Okay. Um, and they're the type of crash symbols that you can crash and get that nice bottom kind of tube limiters crash like on the Zeppelin recordings. Mm-hmm. But but they're also thin enough that you can ride them and get that big wash going too. Right. Like that Meg White kind of like wash when she bashes her crash symbol and she rides it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So my symbols are just like so effing great that... that <laughs> You know, I just think they're, you know, and I have several ride symbols at home that are 20 inch symbols. And I have several crashes at home that are, you know, I have 16s, 18s, and 20s, and all, some splashes and several sets of hi hats. And I'm actually touring with the original set of hi hats that Sabian gave me in 94, 95. It's a set of AA 14 inch hi hats with sizzles in the bottom. They're called sizzle hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have a pair of those, actually. Yeah, I just sliced my finger on it the other day, trying to, I was reaching under, trying to adjust the cymbal stand in my rack time, and I forgot that the scissors were there, and completely sliced my <laughs> finger open. That's so, no good. That kind of sucked. Um, but yeah, like, basically I'm using a classic Ludwig kit, even though it was made in 2011, it sounds like a 60s Ludwig combo, right. and then I'm using gigantic cymbals, but they're not like heavy metal or hard rock sounding cymbals, they're very jazzy and funky and versatile symbols with a lot of wash but also a lot of definition so I like really it. I really I and that with the acrylic snare drums the kit's really dialed in um off to my left I have some uh cowbells on a stand and some bongos on a stand that I play with sticks because I can do I can do things I can do things with my left hand on the belt and the bongos while I'm playing a regular beat with my right hand between nice. the snare and the kick drum I haven't really done any lessons on that stuff, but I'm sort of a student of, I'm not sure if you know what Washington, D.C. go-go music is. Uh, You're from Philly, so you might have heard of it. Yeah, I mean, I know what go-go music is, but I'm not sure if I know what yeah, Washington... Not, not to be confused with, like, 60s go-go, like, you know, dance kind of, right. like, garage music. I'm talking about, like, yeah, the big funky go-go Mm-hmm. Yeah, thing that happened. It's it's from Washington D.C. It was originated by uh, artists like Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. Yep. And uh, that would be the really the grandfather of, of of Go-Go would be Chuck Brown. That would be the reference for anybody that's listening. Um, actually, one of the great one of the great D.C. Go-Go drummers uh, is Ricky Wellman, whose name doesn't come up that often, but he was Miles Davis's last drummer. And I saw Miles on Miles' last tour in 1991, and he had Ricky Wellman on the drums. And Ricky Wellman was playing all these big, fat, funky go-go beats behind Miles, and it's pretty cool. Nice. So nice. Um, that's the whole kit. Classic Ludwig drums, a bunch of big, awesome cymbals, and a few bells and bongos. And uh, I do play both snare drums, uh, to, you know, one's a side snare, one's mm-hmm. in front of me, so I can use them in any combination, you know. Right, right, right. So we talked about your sound. We talked about the history of G Love and Special Sauce. About you know the things that you guys have done. What's on the What's on the horizon for for you and also for the band? Um, we're sort of finishing. Uh, we did a tour this winter, but the, the record was supposed to come out to coincide with our winter tour. We always tour like around February and March every year because you know we just feel like there's not a lot of bands touring in the winter. There's a lot of bands tour in the summer and take the winter off. So. We usually do like a two-month tour, basically a month and then two weeks off and then another month. It comes out to about you know about 50 shows in 75 days. You know what I mean? Right. And but the record didn't come out on time, so that was a little bit of a swing and a miss. That was a, one of those unfortunate things where the record got pushed back for whatever reason, and we were touring without the new record out. But it was also the 20th anniversary of our debut record coming out, so we used that as the premise for the tour and what we did is we played our day, our very first record from start to finish every night that was the first part of our show 
That's pretty awesome. And it, it was awesome. And then we previewed songs. Our encore was basically four, three or four or five songs off the record that was going to be coming out in April. And then that gave G Love a chance to tell everybody, like, here's some of the new songs. The record will be out in April. So we sort of used that to, to introduce the new stuff. And then we just toured with uh, Slightly Stupid and Stephen Marley. That was part of our summer tour. Uh, it was amazing to tour with uh, the, Mar- the Marleys, you know, the Jamaicans. They're so cool. I actually, I went to school with Stephen Marley's sister. Oh, yeah. far out. That's, yeah. that's, that, was that in Philadelphia? Uh, outside of Philadelphia, yeah. Makeda Marley is her name. and I, I mean, I well, grew up with her. I've known her for 100 years. So That's amazing. I, yeah. I forgot to mention that my other little side project band that I had in New Orleans, and I have another version of it where I live in Nashville, plays all Jamaican Rocksteady covers, like old 45s. That's another style that I didn't really get into with you in this interview. Nice. Um, but I have two bands, one in New Orleans and one in Nashville, that plays early 60s Jamaican Rocksteady 45s, for, just for fun. Mm-hmm. You know? So wait, and, so, where, so where, where do you live? Part-time in Nashville, part-time in New Orleans? No, I live in Nashville full-time. I don't live in, I got swept out in Katrina in 2005. From New oh, because I was going to say, I thought you were in Nashville. Okay. I'm in Nashville. Okay. Um, so what are we doing? Well, uh, we just finished, G-Love, just, we just finished a Slightly Stupid and a tour with the Marleys, and then the back half of that is this little co-tour we're doing with uh, blues artist Keb Mo. Oh, yeah, I love Keb Mo. And, uh, yeah, we're out with him now for another week, this is the last week of shows. And then for the rest of the year, we just have some, you know, a few festivals and a few fly dates. Uh, we're gonna, uh, we have a, some shows in Japan in October. Uh, we usually go to Japan about once a year, so in, because the new record's out, we're going to go over and play one festival and then two club shows, one in Tokyo and one in Osaka. And then on the back end of that, instead of flying home, we're going to do something really unique. And it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We're flying from uh, Japan to Cuba. And we're going to play in Havana. There's a new festival in the last few years called, called Cuba Mera, which hmm. I'm, I, did, I haven't even looked up the website, but it's kind of like they get American bands to come down, and it's kind of like an exchange workshop kind of thing with the Cuban musicians and then they put on a festival. That's awesome. So uh, I've never been to Cuba and uh, most people have probably haven't had a chance to go. Mm-mm. And so we're going to we're going to fly from Japan back to the States and uh, you know basically land in the States, sleep one night in the hotel and then fly down to Cuba and play this festival slash workshop slash exchange thing for a couple of days. That'll bring us up to October, and then, you know, I think that's it for the year, unless a couple of onesie twosie type fly dates come in. I think that'll be the end of our touring year. So we toured, you know, we we did our usual about a hundred shows for the year. G Love ends up usually playing about twenty five dates solo every year. So mm-hmm. he did his he did his twenty five on top of our ninety or a hundred, and that's that's about what we play a year, you know. Right. Right. So and then I, I I do have some other exciting news, but I I think it's best that I don't. I, I am I, I'm doing so, I've been asked to do something, but I think I shouldn't say what it is before it happens uh. or to jinx it. So um, I, I don't know. Mostly for two reasons, I don't want to say what it is. One because it's it'll sound like kind of braggy or whatever, and two if it doesn't turn into anything, like if it doesn't. You know, if it doesn't make turn out to be an album or part of an album, then I just kind of sound like a douche. So, right. well, when it happens or when it's 100% confirmed, let me know and I'll make sure to let the Drummers Resource listeners know that it's going down. Okay, I mean, like the, the session is confirmed unless canceled. I mean, it's next. The session is next week. Oh, okay. But, but you know, I if the, if the session isn't canceled, then I'll I'll have at least done one session. Beyond that, I don't know if you know if I'm going to be asked to do another one, or or if if or if what I play on will end up on any kind of a record. I, I don't know, but I, I right. you know I've, I've never really been in this position before, so I think it's best that I don't say anything. <laughs> no problem. Uh, which no is kind of cool. It sounds like a tease, right? Right. Yeah. And just keep me in the loop, man. I'll let everybody know. Like I said, once it once it goes down. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and what's that? Go ahead. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. And for yeah, everybody I mean, out there listening, 
Uh, if you want to check out G London special sauce, just go to philadelphonic.com. It's so funny when I say that, I'm like, I know what Philadelphonic, like that's, I, I've been hearing that name for years, but Philadelphonic is the website for G Love and special sauce. It's just Philadelphia, but it's just philadelphonic.com. Check them out uh, for tour dates and you can be kept up to date with the new record. De- go get the new record, download it, buy it in the store, whatever you got to do, get it. And check them out on tour. And Jeff, were you going to add something else? Yeah, I, or, or if anybody doesn't know how to spell Philadelphonic, they could just type the letter G, period L O V E into any Google or search engine, and it'll all come up that way. And then, yeah, check me out on YouTube. Um, uh, I have some really great. I have about twenty-four minute drum lessons on all con- kinds of cool stuff. Uh, uh, I don't have that many followers, but the people that follow my lessons seem to really like them. Um, they're, you know, short and they're, I always show something cool and they're well explained. Um, and you can follow me at Twitter if you feel like it at Jeffrey Clemens. It's all one word at Jeffrey Clemens. Uh, that's about it. I don't know. I'm just trying to keep up with like all the kids and their social media stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not really like, I don't have a website and I'm not really like, out to be like a super duper self-promoting you know i'm not i'm just not that guy like right uh, i'm just not that guy uh i'm not gonna like tell every go to the nam show and tell everybody how great i am and how they should all give me free stuff and that you know i'm the world's most innovative modern drummer and that everybody should buy my instructional dvd and all that <laughs> kind of stuff that's just not that's not my mo and in fact before i go i'll tell you one last little uh, story what prompted me to start putting drum lessons on YouTube for free is uh, one of my really great drummer friends, an awesome drummer and hilarious dude, Johnny Rab. You probably know Johnny. Yeah, Johnny's a buddy of mine, yeah. He's so he's just such a <laughs> hilarious dude. I interviewed him, but I mean, I've, you know, I've known him for a while. And, and, and actually, I think he was... I think we he and I talked about you, about me hooking up with you or something and i think i just reached out afterwards or something i forget exactly how it happened but he was going to get me in touch with you if if you and i didn't connect so yeah he's he's so such a great drummer and such a funny dude and uh such an awesome uh musician and and such a kind human being and uh and uh anyway he was like he was trying to talk me into he was living in nashville at the time and he was uh trying to talk me into he's like dude i can get you to hook up with the distributor and you should record the DVD. And I was just like, no man, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not, not doing that. You know, I'm not going to spend 25 or hundred or $5,000 on this like professional DVD. And then, and then, you know, get it all pressed into, you know, what do I press 500 or a thousand of them? And I'm like, I was like, dude, I'm not going to like sell all my secrets for 2499, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'll just give them away for free. It'll be better for me. It'll be better for my place in the universe and my karma in the universe if I just put the lessons up on YouTube and give it away for nothing. So Johnny was really the the catalyst for me putting up all my all my cool drum secrets for for free on on, on YouTube. Nice, so, and all of us drummers it, appreciate it. I definitely checked out the the video on Sissy Strut to uh, to figure out how to play that. So. Oh, okay, yeah. Because that's, that's not, not an a, easy groove to play. A, no, I think my version is okay. Uh, somebody else sent me a message the other day about my well, the very first clip I, I posted was on James Brown's Funky Drummer, and there's probably a lot of lessons on that. But some guy out of the blue said, dude, you're the first. He wrote something like, you're the first guy that even that, that, that plays it how it goes or even even came close. Nice. So he must have watched a lot of drummers try to explain it or play it. I don't know. I like it. Now I'm going to go watch that video right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the very first one, so I didn't really have, you know, I was sort of crouching down to make sure that you could see my face in the camera, and then I got better at making the videos, you know, shooting them from different angles and a lot more relaxed. I really, yeah, you should watch that the very first one on Funky Drummer. You know what, Natalie, I just turned up, I think I did watch, I remember watching this, you're like leaning down and you're like, hey, hey, this is, (laughs) hey, it's a learning curve. Yeah, I'm like scrunched, yeah, it's a learning curve. I scrunched (laughs) myself into the, uh, anyway, I I, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, I'll, uh, 
you know, I'm not that familiar with you or your playing, but I'll I'll poke around and, and see if I can check you out on are you on YouTube and online and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I have some I have some stuff online and uh, I can if you give me your address, I just well not just but I put out a record uh, with the Joey you know Joey D Francesco the organ player. Oh, I do. Yeah, I actually a long time ago was going to suggest him for a session for us with, with G Levin because I think he's from or lives in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, I know who he is, and I'm a huge fan of the organ. All that, you know, organ trio stuff way back to Jimmy McGriff and Jimmy Smith. And yeah, that's Jack all my stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're an organ trio guy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do everything, but that I just cut. I ended up cutting this record, my own record, and I got his brother Johnny to play guitar, and and uh, this guy Rich Podesta to play keys and stuff. But it turned out, it turned out decent. So I'll uh, I'll get that. So thing. it's like a it's like a is it like a jazz soul record kind of a jazz? Yeah, it's like a it's it's along the lines of like the Jimmy Smith, you know, Jack McDuff kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I go, I go, I go absolutely apeshit over that, all that stuff. I, yeah, I love too. the organ, all the old organ records. Yep. Uh, they, you can never get enough of that stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I actually so. played an organ band called the Sermon that was named after the Jimmy Smith record, and right, the Sermon, yeah, yeah, yeah. And our guitar player got permission from Jimmy Smith to name the band the Sermon before he passed, which was kind of cool. That is very cool. I yeah. took, I took G Love, very. Early on, I took G. Love to see Jimmy Smith um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, at one of the jazz bars. And uh, I, it was really funny. I, I, if I'm telling the story right, like, like we got off the elevator, and uh, Jimmy Smith was like kind of milling around in the lobby. And I think there was two shows that night, like an early and a late show. So maybe we missed the first show, but we weren't sure. So we got off the elevator. Jimmy Smith was standing there. And G. Love is like 20 years old and real kind of green, you know, he's just kind of like awkward and nerdy. And he like walked up to Jimmy Smith and said, Hey Jimmy, like, I don't know what he said. I, I, I don't know what he said. Something like, are you going to play now? Or you know, whatever. And Jimmy Smith like got into a karate stance. Cause he was a karate guy. Right. <laughs> I mean, he was just, fool- Jimmy Smith was just fooling around, but he like, he like, you know, kind of get into a karate stance, like and made some like mock karate chop on G love, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny story. If you if you ever ever run into G Love, ask him about the time he met. We went, he and I went to I took him to see Jimmy Smith in Cambridge. I'll tell you what. Hopefully, he'll tell you what happened. I will. Coincidentally, I've never I've never uh, met G Love. I've been to a couple of shows, and you know we have a bunch of mutual friends. And actually, I've been backstage at the Electric Factory when you guys were there, and just never met, never been introduced. Him, so. Oh well, you know he's a real Philly. He's definitely a real Philly cat, and. Uh, you know, um, he currently lives in Boston mm-hmm. uh, um, for family reasons or whatever. But, uh, uh, you know, he's definitely, I think, you know, although we haven't had the most commercial success in the world, uh, I think that he's a really, truly unique music artist that is really not really just so unique that you, you almost can't, like, you can't imitate him like you can't you could cover you could probably do a cover of cold beverage but it ain't gonna sound like g love you know what i mean right right and and truthfully man i you know i've i have so much respect for you guys i've been like i said i've been listening to you guys for years and that was one gig that i was always like man i would love i I would love the g love gig i always said i mean i've i told johnny that three weeks ago actually you know i was like man yeah i think i think a lot of guys are waiting for me to fall off the back of my drums and keel over because uh, I, I can tell you that I feel that way about other, other sometimes I think oh I, I, would, I wouldn't mind playing in you know in that band right right but you know I won't I won't say who but <laughs> uh, I know what you mean you're like oh god maybe Jeff Clemens will die and then I can take his gig <laughs> that's exactly what I was no no, no, no. <laughs> no it's always like you know hey man you know sometimes People hey, you never know. To, sometimes people get called to do other gigs. Or, I don't know. I don't know. You don't. You never know. Exactly. You so know, if, you actually, ever, if you ever need somebody, give me a call. All right, I will. If Although you ever I don't feel that, like going out on the road, let me know. <laughs> I I think that G Love's first call would probably be to another Philly guy. You must know who Chuck Treese is. Oh right? yeah, I just I'm I'm friends with Chuck. I actually just uh, just talk, interviewed him the other day, but I've known Chuck for years and studied with him and all that. So. Great musician, really great musician. He's a great dude too. So, a, great dude. Guy, so. I love, 
Love Chuck. So, man, I'm happy to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much, man. I'm glad we finally got this connected and hooked up, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. The pleasure was mine. And uh, next time, uh, you know, if you know, when next time we're coming through or in the same geographical area, just give me a heads up. You know. Sounds like a plan. Okay. All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jeff. See you. Bye-bye. There you have it. Jeffrey Clemens, the house man from G-Love and Special Sauce. And I apologize about the, the audio quality, how it was kind of going in and out a little bit. He was in the middle of nowhere doing that interview. And we had some issues with the Wi-Fi and with the Internet and all that stuff. So we finally got the interview, and we actually had to start it over a few times. So it was a, it was a bear of an interview. But, uh, but it was great because Jeff, the information that Jeff shared was so great. And, uh, and he's just such, a, such an awesome dude. So thanks for, thanks for listening to that interview. I appreciate it. And one more time, I want to talk about this webinar real quick. This webinar is going to be Thursday, September 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's called Marketing for the Modern Musician. And it's a free webinar, and it'll help you get your online presence up to a professional level, helping you get more gigs, more followers, and more exposure. And you can sign up at drummersresource.com forward slash webinar. Also, if you want to get some bamboo drumsticks, check them out at Boso Drumsticks, B-O-S as in Sam, O, drumsticks.com. Get 15% off. All you have to do is use the promo code podcast. Simple enough. And check out check out G Love and Special Sauce at philadelphonic.com. Check me out, drummersresource.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. I'm on Instagram at drummersresource and on Twitter at drummersrsource. And until the next podcast, thanks so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.